Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. We want to welcome you to the worship services of the Homerville Church of Christ, Homerville, Georgia. We are continuing in our study of the, um, well, we're actually discussing the topic of walking spiritually in this life. And today we're asking the question, are we walking with Jesus? I hope you enjoy enjoy the study and be helpful to you. Tonight uh, we're going to continue our Searching Scripture series and looking at the life of Daniel. Hope you find everything done in accordance with the New Testament pattern and hope you'll come and join us either in person or on the podcast as we worship God in Homerville, Georgia.
Good morning. It's time to start our worship service. And just see each other here. Here the news. As I announced last week, our day to day collection was one hundred and thirty two dollars. I know that here in church appreciate that. Um, vacation Bible school officially starts this week, today. Uh, we will be there this, this week and then the group that I was leading with starts next Sunday, 15th to the uh, 21st to the 27th. I've got a vacation Bible school in between there, 15th to 16th. Well, uh, 21st through the 27th is the uh, Lord's Bible Camp for our week. Sure, keep that in mind, and if you're planning to go, be sure to get with Brother Andrew right away to get a camp. And as we've been saying, if you know anybody that wants to go, I encourage you to invite them. And if they need some help, come ask you and let us know about that. Coming up in uh, July, I know it's uh, still a few weeks away, on the 25th, so this weekend before you know it, I don't think. I have got to go for uh, planning a trip for Wild Adventures. See Kayla uh, about that if you're interested in going. Remember those that's been uh, mentioned on our prayer list, Cousin Gary Lewis, that they thought that they had the stroke and found out that he didn't have the stroke. He had something called Gillian Barr syndrome, and it affects the nervous system. It takes a period of time for this to happen, so I don't know how long it's been going on in his body, but um, they have to purify the blood. Every other day, I believe it is for so many weeks, and it's something similar to what Cherry Day now to go through. But he is responding to it. But it's going to be a long process for him taking this and have to have a lot of therapy. Uh, very rare thing that happens, and he's caused by several things, but I don't know what caused it. But I know that one of the things they said was it's not. Well, the cooked chicken that can cause it. So. Keep him in your prayers. We still got a long way to go. Uh, it took a long time to find out the diagnosis of it. Had to do a spinal tap to find out. But, uh, in your prayers, if you would. And uh, Linda Balls is still taking the treatments. And the sister Martha has had her last treatment and she put it in the scan and we'll try to get an update on her and see what the scan Tony and we continue to remember him and I know that we're ready to go went to bed with him last night. So uh, I think he's got to have surgery coming up right away. Check the book, brothers, that we have listed, and several that's 
Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this fine day that you have blessed us with. Be able to gather together in your holy name and to do so in peace and in freedom. And we're so thankful for this, that we can live in this nation. And we pray that you will continue to bless this nation, bless our leaders, and bless us with leaders, good leaders, and that they will lead in harmony with your will. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered together in your name, we pray that all things we do are in spirit and in truth, all things in harmony with your will. We pray, dear Father, to glorify and to praise your holy name. And we pray that you will help us individually and as a congregation to be a shining light for the cause of Christ. Help us to find those that will study with us and to aid them in obeying the gospel. Thank you, dear Father, for blessing the sick, for healing our infirmities. Pray your special blessing to be on those that Brother Arnold mentioned a few moments ago, that you will bless them and keep them, and we know that there are others, and we pray that you would bless all, especially those that are of the household of faith. We pray that you would use us in your service to give care and encouragement where we can, where we have opportunity. <clears throat> Father, be with those that are away from us. We pray that you will bless and keep them, that they can be back with us at the next appointed time. Only Father, we are so thankful for the daily blessings that you provide for us to have food, clothing, and shelter, and so much. But especially we're thankful for the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. For Jesus who gave himself for us and for his word, the New Testament. Dear Father, we pray that you would, again, help us to carry your word forward, to be that pillar of the truth. And we, Father, we pray that in the end that you would save us in heaven, forgive us of our sins, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number 633. Number 633. <coughs> I could sing this song. Remember the Lord's death, I think it was the Lord's Supper, and have to wish for that awfulness.
this is paramount for the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read from Luke uh, chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, The desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, and my blood which I shed for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. He now is the forsaken of this bread which represents his shed body that we take in a manner pleasing unto you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. Now we protect you through the vine that represents his shed blood that will protect you in the manner pleasing unto you. In Christ's name, pray. Amen.
This concludes the Lord's Supper. We're also commanded on the first day of the week to give back as we've been prophets. And this time we ask for the heaven to give thanks to him. Once again, dear Lord, we'd like to thank you for everything you've given us. And we thank you for allowing us to have our jobs so we can have a way to earn a living, Lord. And now as we give back a portion of that which you've blessed us with, that we give them a matter of and pray in prayer. Amen. Let's go ahead and mark your books to number 
Good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're doing well. Do appreciate the prayers and assistance on anything along the way with the camp stuff. The first group will be there today. And uh, we had a pretty good shipment of five shipment of food come in on Friday. And uh, got another little bit coming in in the middle of this week and then another one on this Friday. So uh, specifically on the Friday of this week, if you don't have anything to do and you're just looking for something, uh, you'll get in touch with me and I'll let you know kind of when we need to be out there to get everything counted and put away. Uh, works out a lot better the way we're doing it this year. We've got a truck driver who unloads it for us and sets it right there for us. And so it's a little bit better than what it's been being in the past. Uh, but appreciate the thoughts, prayers, and preparations being made for the camp week uh, for us as well as the rest. And uh, this morning as we continue in our studies, we're going to continue in this idea about walking and consider some things about walking with Jesus. And the question really under consideration is, are we walking with Jesus? We have noticed several times during the course of this study the importance of having a, a qualified guide and the benefits of having that, that direction. And we know that we have that direction given to us through the Scriptures and God. And we noticed already that we're to walk by the same rule from the book of Philippians. Last week we noticed that we must be walking with God. This week we want to consider and, and examine ourselves to see if we're walking with Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter wrote, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. And so we have the path that's been set before us, the path of Jesus walked, and that's the path we're to follow. It's not a physical path we're under our consideration, but rather the spiritual direction that he led us, leads us through in his life and what we read about his life and his teaching. So as we think about these things, we've got to again go back to the scriptures because we can't go find Jesus somewhere and just start following him around here on earth as a physical person. But we can go back to the scriptures and read about his life and see how he lived and do those things that he did as we emulate his lifestyle in our life. And so to begin with, we want to first of all ask the question, are we walking with Jesus in the way that he walked? That is, in the pathway that he walked. As we think about this pathway, it's important to keep in mind that this pathway was planned by God. Now, there are those in our world today who would say that God has planned everything and put everything in motion so that everything that happens, happens because that's what God planned before the world was created. And so the reason that you're here today is because God had in mind that you'd be here today, and there is nothing that you could have done to catch yourself from being here today. But the Bible doesn't teach that. That's not the idea that we're talking about. What we're talking about is a way that he planned that we can go if we choose to go. In fact, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter ye into the straight gate, because wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. God has given us the ability to choose. But he planned this way 
for us to travel if we would be obedient to him and follow in the footsteps of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers of heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He made a plan by which he would save mankind so that we can have a vessel of salvation. That vessel is the church. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, Peter writes about this plan, and he, continue, he continues these thoughts about this plan, stating, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you purified yourselves and obeying the truth, through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so God has made this plan that established the call for the establishment of the church. Tying with that what Peter wrote, he speaks of our being redeemed not by corruptible or things of this world, but by the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as the Lamb without blemish and without spot. And he says that this was foreordained or predetermined before the foundation of the world. And so this plan involved the death of Jesus on the cross. Having lived a perfect life, he would shed his blood, pay the purchase price for the church, opening up this new way for you and for me and for all who would follow in his footsteps. As you think about Jesus' life, there was a way he had to travel through this life in order to make this possible. He could not go this way or that way. He had to stay on course, and as you look at his life, that's exactly what he did. But it's important to note that there were other ways in his day. There were other ways he could have gone. Now, first of all, the, the, the widespread thing of his day would have been to follow the ways of the pagan people, to be, become an idol worshiper. Now, that doesn't even make good sense when you think about Jesus and, and the fact that he was born a Jew. And so we're not really going to concern ourselves with that, but that was the prevalent thing of the day. He could have joined himself to the Roman ideology or the Greek ideology and become involved in those things. Those ways were available. But really and truly what we want to think about with Jesus and the other ways that he could have gone are the Jewish ideas that were prevalent in his day. The first one being that the law of Moses and the traditions that had been handed down were the authority in religion. In Matthew chapter 15, Matthew records for us one of many occasions where Jesus confronted these ideas. Matthew 15, 1 and 2, then came, Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now here, the behavior of the disciples, the apostles, is called into question, and they ask, why are, are, why are you breaking, why are they breaking the tradition 
of the elders. Now, that would take us back to the law of Moses. So you've got this emphasis on the law of Moses and those, those oral traditions that have been passed down and the, the interpretation of the law of Moses. And that Jesus was being questioned as to why they were breaking these things. He goes on, he explains that, that they're breaking the commandments of God by their tradition, but this was a way that he could have gone. He could have followed the Jewish ideology a way of thinking about the law of Moses and these traditions. But he didn't. He stayed focused on the way that he was traveling. Another way that he could have gone is the way that said that he was to be an earthly king. In Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21, Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised, be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things which be, that be of God, but those things that be of men. Here, Peter, when he's confronted with this idea that Jesus is going to die on the cross, God's plan is being unfolded before his very eyes. His Savior, the one who's going to die on the cross so that he can have the forgiveness of his sins, is explaining how this is going to happen, and he begins to say, no, it's not going to happen. Be it far from thee, Lord. And Jesus says, give thee hence, Satan. This idea that Peter was bringing to him would, could serve as a temptation to depart from the way that God had given, the plan that God had established by which he would save mankind. And had Jesus gone along with this idea and set himself up as an earthly king as the Jews of that day wanted and many of today want, he would have left God's plan and we would be without hope. We would not have this way in which to travel through this life because of that departure. This idea was still hanging on with the apostles in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. When they were come, therefore were come together, they are preparing to, or the Lord is preparing to ascend into heaven. They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Still, this idea of a physical, earthly kingdom and him, him reigning over a, on a literal throne in Jerusalem. Notice he says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so when confronted again with this idea, instead of dealing with that and, and just going into a big explanation about it, it's a spiritual kingdom, it's not earth, he just says, don't worry about that. You're going to have power, and you're going to be, and he emphasizes the spiritual nature of his mission and refocuses them on this mission, this way that God has given. And so there were a couple of ideas floating around, the ideas concerning the law of Moses and the traditions that had been passed down, the idea that he would be an earthly king. There were other ways, but Jesus stayed on track on God's way. 
You may remember in John chapter 4 and verse 34, as he was speaking, had been speaking to the woman, the Samaritan woman, in verse 34, the disciples came back and asked about, uh, well, they were talking about food. And, uh, and you remember, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The focus of Jesus' life was to stay on track with the, the way that God had made for him to go through this life so that you and I could then have a way to make it through this life into eternity. Jesus stayed focused on the Lord's way, the way that he had been given to travel from God. The question for you and me is, are we walking with Jesus on this same way? Because if he had gotten off track, then we would not have this way that he's prepared for us. But if we get off track, he's given us this way, he's made the preparation and, and so that we can make it through this life and eventually and, and ultimately make it home to heaven. But if we get off track, if we stop walking with him, focusing on God's way instead of man's way, focusing on the way that he has shown us how to be saved, the way that he showed us how to live as Christians, regardless of what people around us say, if we get off track on this way, then we won't make it to that place that he's prepared for us. We must stay focused in walking with Jesus just as he did in walking in the way that he was preparing for us. And so Jesus walked in the way that was planned by God. It involved his death on the cross and the establishment of his church. And while there are many churches around us today, the salvation that he provides is only in his church. His church. Acts 4 and verse 12. And so he walked in the way as planned by God, but he also walked in the way for which he paid the price. Notice in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, speaking of this new way for which he paid the price. Hebrews 10, beginning of verse 20, we're told... By new, we'll go back up to verse, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, this has some references back to the tabernacle or the temple, depending on what part of Exodus or the Old Testament you're reading. Exodus, you'd be reading about the tabernacle. But you recall that in the tabernacle and in the temple, the high priest was the one who went into the most holy place. And in order to do that, he, it had to be the right day. It had to be the day of atonement. And he would take that sacrifice for the people to go in, but he'd have to take his sacrifice first and he'd offer for the people. But now we have a new way to enter into the most holy place, and that's the way that Jesus has prepared by his own blood. He paid the price so that you and I could enter into heaven. He paid the price in this, or involved in this, was paying the price for the new covenant. Matthew chapter 26, beginning of verse 26, we read about the Lord's Supper and Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. But specifically for our consideration at this time, verse 28, as he tells them, drink ye all of it, 
that is, of the cup, the fruit of the vine, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, or the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus paid the price with his blood for this new covenant. Now, in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 9, the Hebrews writer reminds us that a testament or a a will is not enforced until after the death of the one who made it. And we understand this. We have wills that are made. Um, You may even have one yourself. And we go and you go and you get a lawyer to draw it up for you and write, write up all the terms and conditions. And as long as you're alive, you can change it. You can add people. You can take people out. You can um, decide you want to give all of your stuff to whoever, whatever group you want to leave it to. But once you die, that will is put into effect. It is the document that is an authority of all of your possessions. Jesus instituted the New Testament, his last will and testament, you might say, And he gave the apostles the authority to set things in order by the directions that they would receive from the Holy Spirit so that you and I can now read the New Testament. We can know what it is he wants for us to do by the authority of this document, the New Testament, so that we can enjoy this covenant relationship through the blood of Jesus. He instituted this and and it enabled you and me to be partakers of fellowship with God and with his people. But not only did his blood pay the price for this covenant, but there in the same verse, notice, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Jesus' blood not only paid the price for this new covenant, but it paid the price for a new condition in which you and I can live. Paul describes us as being new creatures, in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so we had the forgiveness of our sins, the remission of our sins. That debt was paid in full because of the blood of Jesus. We now are able to live in a new condition because of that blood that was shed. We're able to travel in this new condition on this new way that he's prepared. And without this new condition, we could not travel this way. But if the price was paid for us, by the blood of Jesus. Not only was there a new covenant, not only the forgiveness or remission of sins, but also the purchase price of the church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, as Paul was talking to the church elders of the church at Ephesus, he tells them to take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. There's a new covenant, There's a new condition, and there's a new congregation or a new church or group of people, those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And it took the blood of Jesus to pay the price to establish his church. You think about various buildings that have been built and the expenses that are paid or the the money that's used to buy these materials. I don't know exactly how much it costs to build this building. I don't think I would want to have to pay for it all by myself. I suppose it would be doable. 
But you think about all the things that go into it, especially when you start talking about even fancier buildings. There are places that the people have the golden fixtures. Everything's covered in gold. And so for some people, that's not good enough. They'll put platinum or whatever. They'll get the most expensive wood, the most expensive of everything. When God determined to build the church, he spared no expense and used the very blood of his son to pay the price. Not only did he pay the price for the group, for the congregation, he paid the price for the individual. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we're told that we're not redeemed by corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Sometimes when we think about what's done for a group, we forget that we're part of the group. Now, when your teacher tells you at school, we're going to have a party, uh, we think about, well, we're having a party for our class today. But as individuals, we don't, I, I, I didn't really think I get to be a participant in this party. I enjoy the benefits of it, but I never really thought about it. But when we think about what Jesus' blood paid for, it's important not to just think about the group as a whole. While that's important, and we got to be concerned about the group, but Jesus paid the price for me. When he died on the cross, he had me in mind. And he had you in mind. So that you could travel on this new way. And I could travel on this new way that God planned and he made possible. And so when we think about this question, am I walking with Jesus? Am I walking on the way that he walked? Am I on that path? the path that God made, the path we read about in the New Testament, the path that he paid for with his own blood. If I'm on a different path, if I'm traveling a different way, I'm not going to like my destination. And neither will you. We've got to be traveling on the way that God has made that was paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now I shift, shift gears a little bit. We've been talking about this way but now we want to think about the way he traveled. I'm getting a lot of ways, I know. But are we traveling the way that he traveled on the way? Are we doing it in the manner in which he did it? When you look back at his life, we're going to find that he did some things differently than anybody else. In the first place, we find that he traveled this way in complete obedience in complete obedience. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, as we read about him going to the cross, verse 7 speaks about his, his supplications that were given with strong crying and tears. But then in verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. As Jesus went through this life, he did not violate any law or any command. He was not disobedient to his parents. In fact, Luke tells us he went with them and was subject unto them. He did not violate the law of the land. In fact, when he was supposed to, when, when he was not obligated to pay the temple tax, he sends Peter to go and catch a fish to take the coin to pay a tax that he didn't even owe because he was the son of the king, the son of God, but so as not to cause problems with those among whom he lived, he had Peter go and get the coin. 
He did not violate the, the religious laws of his day, the law of Moses. In fact, the night in which he was betrayed, when we read about the institution of the Lord's Supper, what was going on? Why were they having that feast? They were taking the Passover, participating in that feast as prescribed by the law of Moses. On all the nights, you think about today, we think about, well, oh, brother so-and-so, he's not here, but you know he's got a good reason. He, he's doing this or he's had this catastrophe and, and this or that has happened in his life and so he can't be here. Jesus is about to go experience the most, if not the most, one of the most excruciatingly painful deaths the world has ever known. He is going to be arrested in the middle of the night, taken and, and, and put on trial by the Jews. And you couldn't even call it a legitimate trial. The outcome was everybody said he's guilty, which means he should have gone free. Somebody had to be on his side according to the law, but nobody was. All of the charges were false. They hit him, they spit upon him. They cover up his head. As they're doing this, they say, who hit you? If you're a prophet, you, you, if, you're, if you're who you say you are, you should know. Didn't say a word. You go into the next morning, they take him to, to Pilate, and they say he's guilty. And they say he's guilty of what? Well, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Crucify him. Go through that trial. Pilate washes his hands of the situation. He's had him scourged. He's had, they dressed him up like a, a, a king in mockery. They snatched that robe off, put his stuff back on him, and they make him carry his cross. And by that point in time, he was so weak he had to have help. He makes it there. They nail him to the cross. Of all the times, someone could have said, you know, he doesn't have to keep the Passover. He's got a lot on him. But he was there. He didn't violate the laws. Religious law. He lived in complete obedience and submission to the will of the Father, and because of that, he wound up on the cross. But that was God's plan. But he knows the price of complete and true obedience. And as we walk in his footsteps, we've got to walk a path of obedience. We can't do the things, do, do it just however we want to do. We're trying to walk on that narrow way that he's made possible by his life and his death and resurrection. And so we must walk in obedience just as he did. Not only was there obedience, there was also reverence. He walked in reverence. In John 8 and verse 29, speaking of his reverence towards God, John 8, 29 says that, and he that, well, back up. 8.28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. He lived his life with complete reverence to the Father. When you read about him, Frequently we read about his praying, Luke 6, 11, 12, as he's preparing for the, the uh, decision to, to appoint the apostles. In Luke 22, verses 41 through 44, as he's preparing for his death, 
is there in the garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, 41 to 44, notice says, and, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled him down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in, in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, drop, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. As he was praying, he prayed with great reverence. And, and, and all throughout his life, he lived in reverence of God. And if we follow in his footsteps, we walk the way that he walked along this way, we'll travel in reverence as well. He walked with benevolence. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, as he saw the folks there, Matthew 9 and verse 36, notice his response to their situation. It says, well, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were sheep or were and were scattered as broad as sheep, having no shepherd. He walked with benevolence. He had care for those who were around him. As Peter would speak to Cornelius, he says that Jesus went about doing good. He helped those who were around him with their physical needs, with their emotional needs, with their spiritual needs. He went about, uh, went about this way, giving guidance. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 17, as he began to preach, notice he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message that those of his day needed to know was they needed to turn back to God. They needed to get away from the oral traditions and come back to the heart of the law. They needed to follow the Lord. Follow God and dedicate themselves once again to that way. He gave guidance. Verse 19, he tells the disciples, Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He gave them guidance in this mission in which they were, they were beginning to walk with him as disciples and eventually apostles. He gave guidance in the teachings that he, that he gave. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, you have the Sermon on the Mount basically been described as the constitution of Christianity and really encompasses most every aspect of the Christian life in some way or another. And through his teaching, he gave guidance to those of his day and to us as well. And so he walked in obedience, reverence, and benevolence and gave guidance. And finally, he walked with persistence. He walked with persistence. The way that he had to go was not an easy way. There were those who had other ideas about what he should or should not be doing. In Mark chapter 1, you recall that he was, had gotten up early in the morning to go and pray, and, and there were those who came, they were looking for him, and the, the apostles, they came and they found him and said, they're, they're, they're looking for you. And he said, we're going to go over there because I came to preach. He stayed focused on that mission. In, in Mark chapter 16, verses 21 to 28, Mark 16, verses 21 to 28. Excuse me, that's Matthew. can't be Mark. There's not that many. In Matthew 16, we already noticed this. As, G, as he was explaining to the apostles what was going to happen in his life, Peter confronts him, 
and he refocuses them back on this spiritual mission that he had to go to die on the cross. And then in John chapter 19, verses 28 and 30, notice just how persistent he was in his walk. John 19 and verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He's hanging on the cross. Now, if I'm hanging on the cross, just thinking about the pain and and the things that he had endured, it's an amazing thing to me that he was focused on the fact that all things were now accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Things had to happen in order for prophecies to be fulfilled. And until those prophecies were fulfilled, he couldn't give up the ghost. He had to continue. But once it was possible, once he knew that those things were so, he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge hit with vinegar and put it upon his and put it up, put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Isn't that incredible? Until all scripture was fulfilled, his part of of the things to do, he wasn't finished. When it was, he gave up the ghost. But all throughout his life, Jesus walked with persistence. And if we're going to walk this way, we can't do it our way. We've got to do it his way. It's going to require our obedience to God and reverence for him and his his will. It will require us to walk with benevolence, being mindful of those who are around us and giving care and consideration to them, giving guidance. We've been commanded to go and teach. And we must walk with persistence until we come to the point where we can say it is finished and then give up the ghost. Now, understand slight different circumstances there. But the point is, as Christians, our work's not done until we leave this life. You think about Paul, he was right from prison, he wrote letters. As he was able, he received people, taught people. Whatever condition we find ourselves in, there's something that we can do for the Lord and we must continue with persistence to be faithful to Him in our living and faithful in our service. The question remains, are we walking with Jesus? You know, when you walk with somebody, the first thing that has to be the case if you're going to walk with somebody is you're on that same path. And Jesus walked the path that God had planned and for which He paid are you walking on that path or are you walking on another? The only way to know is to consider what God has said in his word and compare it to the way things are going in your life. But another thing about walking with someone is you don't just do it on the same path, but you've got to keep up with them. I can remember when Leather would go on walks. She used to, to walk several miles in the evening time. And we were, when we were littler, we always wanted to go with her. 
But that was kind of her time away from us. We didn't quite get that at that point in time. But that was her time to kind of do that. And occasionally she would let us walk with her, but her rule was you had to keep up with her. If you couldn't keep up with her, you had to turn around and go back home. If you're going to walk with somebody, you got to do it the way they're doing it, not just on the same path. Are you walking with Jesus the way he walks? I understand we're not going to be seamlessly perfect as he was and is. But we can do it in the manner in which he walks. We can follow in his footsteps. And when we see that we've gotten out of step with him, we can come back, we can repent, and get back in step with him. If you've not obeyed the gospel, you're not even on the path. You've got to get on the path by faith that comes by hearing God's word, repenting of your sins, turning away from the things of this world, and begin to walk towards him. Confess the name of Christ and submit to his authority. And really and truly, you begin walking with him, doing what he wants you to do, which culminates in baptism. Where you contact the blood that was shed on your behalf so that your sins can wash, be washed away and arise to walk in newness of life. Then as a Christian, we've got to get in step with the Lord. We've got to walk the way he walks. And if you find as a child of God that you're out of step with the Lord, the things aren't what they ought to be. Now's the time to repent. Ask for the Lord's forgiveness. And if it's a matter that's public in nature, come, we'll pray with you for you. And you can continue again with the Lord, walking in the way that he made, the way he did. You need to come. Father, the Lord's invitation comes as we stand and sing. Would you live for Jesus and be always hearing good? Would you walk in them with a narrow road? Would you have to say your word and carry on your fall? Let him back his way with thee. His power can make you what you are.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.